uh, why don't you reach out your hand as we uh, pray for Rick as he gets started. Yeah, Father God, we just thank you uh, that you're here with us this morning. We thank you for how you've been ministering to all of us already through, through worship and how you've been moving. And we pray that you continue to minister to our hearts as we gather around the word. We thank you that your word is alive and active and still speaks to us today. And so we just open up our hearts. We pray that you would challenge us, encourage us, correct and rebuke us and train us in righteousness as we gather around your word. Would you, Holy Spirit, nourish our souls, bring life to our bodies as we hear your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Take that from me, Robbie, would you? Yeah, Robbie. Thanks. Good morning. Hi, Ollie. Our afternoon. Yeah, we're just into afternoon. Um, straight away, I'm going to bring up Katie Crummy. Katie, come on up. Um, we're going to be interviewing um, Katie about um, Rach. Oh, did you again? <laughs> we're going to be interviewing Katie about Aspire. Um, this is a, a, a charity really close to really close to our heart. Um, a little friendly banter between the charities. Um, we are, are going to be looking into James chapter two. Um, we're going to be looking at James chapter two. In that chapter, um, it talks about the divide and the wedge um, that we can be putting in between um, the rich and the poor in between the rich and the poor. Um, and there's no better time for us to be highlighting um, the, the work of Aspire. So, uh, Katie, tell us a little bit about what Aspire does. Good morning. Um, you are all very fortunate. You're getting me coffee fueled. Um, the 9.30 service didn't get me at that. So, um, no <laughs> um, yes, good morning. I have been working for Aspire for about two years now. And before I worked for Aspire, I genuinely had no clue what we did. Um, I went to the interview fully not knowing what we, we did either, but it worked out well, because here I am. Um, but I do know what we do now, and that is that we work with children and young people who are impacted by the educational attainment gap. Now, you'll look at me blankly, because that's how I did too. But basically what that means is that these are kids and young people who are from families who are being impacted by poverty. It's from a family who have financial circumstances that mean that their child's experience in education is different from those who come from a family who are more well off. Um, so we are a, an after school club basically is probably the best way to put it. We serve our kids and young people with homework clubs after school. We provide them with a snack and some food and games of Uno and everything else that you can think of. And we do that for about half an hour and then for another half an hour we do our homeworks with them. And the reason for this is that children and young people who are from a lower income household are less likely to achieve in their long-term education. There's about a 41% chance of them coming out of school with their GCSE qualifications. Last year, we saw um, about two, we, we go through schools, we have 22 schools in the area, and we saw 81% of our fifth years come away with their GCSEs. That's an incredible jump between the predicted grades that these kids have and what they can actually achieve. And all it takes is one hour a week from us to actually give them that opportunity to do that. Um, we also go into primary schools as well. So this is not just for our secondary schools. This is right through. If we can start from P4 and work our way up, we have a lot easier of a task by the time they get to fifth year. Um, I did some calculating because I like statistics and so does Aspire. So I thought I would do some maths for you. 
Um, and between the ages of five to 11, the likelihood of a child being in poverty um, in a classroom, it's about one in four. And on the average, that would mean about 126 primary school children are in poverty. That's an amazing amount of kids. That's potentially half of a school if you're a small, from a small area. So about 126 kids being impacted by poverty in 2023 and that's just in one school and there's a lot of schools there's over a thousand schools in northern ireland so um there's a lot of kids out there that really need this support um we do this because we have a heart for jesus we know that jesus goes against injustice and we feel that kids not having the right to an education that's fair and all-rounded is an injustice so this is where we want to stand in the gap and that is what educational attainment is so i hope you understand but if you don't ask me at the end um, and we also encourage our kids for hobbies. We also do academies, which is where they can really invest in their passions and their creativity because not everybody is academically minded. And some people in this room, especially, like we had a fantastic worship team up here, um, that is skills that aren't really invested in sometimes in schools. This is where our academies can come in. So we have, Matthew can take our music um, academy for us. We have business academies for people who want to maybe open up their own business. Um, I think last year's crew were trying to make x-ray glasses. So I'm not saying it's gonna be groundbreaking, but it's there and the idea is there and it's just to fuel their creativity with that. Um, but we just want them to have a space to learn new skills and um, have a chance to do something a bit different because hobbies cost money too. And that's not something that all families can access. So sort of briefly. Brilliant. And then uh, over the summer, obviously, Aspire just lying about doing nothing. Is that the is that the plan? No. <laughs> tell us, um, tell us a wee bit about everything that's been happening over the summer, because that's a key part. Um, there's all of the investment that's happening throughout the the year um, with the young people, but then um, it's a key part of of the the summer. So give us a wee bit of a what you've been up to. So most any teachers in here will know that they'll hear that you only work nine months a year, so you're grand. Um, but actually, first of all, teachers, I, hats off, because I do one hour a week, and I honestly, it's a, it's a job. But um, summer months for us are just as busy, if not busier, than the rest of the year. In summertime, we um, are also bringing on our summer schemes and our camps. Um, we are also doing uniform exchanges. Um, we are taking part in Craigavon Glow, just lots of different things. Um, the main ones for us are when we can interact with our kids that we work with in schools. Um, school is obviously a time that we really dedicate to their education and to just forcing them to do their homework essentially, but um, we don't really get to maybe show them or tell them as much about our heart and love for Jesus as we would like to. We just show them in a practical way. So in summertime, this is a really, really great way for us to actually tell them why we love them and why Jesus loves them and we get to show them. So in July, the first week of July, we did our kids week, which was um, three days from 10 until 2.30 for our primary school age kids. And we just took them away. We were based out of Cara and we did kids trips and we did crafts and we did games and silly, messy things. And um, just our young people that maybe don't again have access to that. Some of the summer schemes that are running can be a, 
£125 a pop. And if you have three kids in your household, that's an immense amount of money. And whilst it's three days, it's three days more that these kids maybe don't have access to. So it's just to give their families a space to have time that is freedom for them, but it's also to give these kids an experience to have fun and to enjoy their summer. And then in um, the second, sorry, third week, so it was not this week past, the week previous, we were at camp, which runs, uh, this was our sixth camp that we ran in Crawfordsburn Scout Centre up uh, by Hells Bay. And we brought away 40 of our young people um, who are first to fifth year ages, averaging about 14, 15 in age, um, most of them. And we fed them for the week and we did activities and we basically tried to um, just create a, sp a space for them to enjoy and have fun. It was sort of their holiday for the summer. Um, but it's also a space for us to really um, talk to them about Jesus and talk to them about their culture and their community. We are a cross-community charity, so we work with lots of schools that are across the community. And this is where, whether you believe it or not, Northern Ireland is divided. And this is a space for us to talk about that um, with our young people. These are the kids of our future. So we want them to be open-minded to everything that is going on around them. For that to happen, we make a theme in the year, and Mark loves a theme. So we made a theme this year, which was Back to the Future. And we looked back over the future, or back over our past. We looked back over our, the cultures, the religions, the sports that we have going on, the segregation that is with all of that. And we brought it to our kids and asked them, you are the city developers. What do we need in our new cities? Do we need churches? Do we need sports centers that are all Catholic, all Protestant? Do we need mixed? Do we need integrated education throughout? And these kids were able to build their future cities. And then we were able to challenge their behaviors in some of the ways that they talked about it. No, we don't need churches. But then we challenged that as why you need churches, why churches are so important, why your sports centers are so important, why segregated education and integrated education is so important. So this is a great space for us to do all of that. And at, by the end of the week, they're exhausted and so are we. But um, it's a really amazing thing to witness these kids change their hearts and soften to other ideas and other people. Um, so this is a chance for us to do that at camp. In the midst of all summer else, we do our uniform exchange, which is similar to the one that the Compassion team run here. Um, but we are running it for all of our schools, so from primary right up through secondary. And we are doing Craig Avon next, not this week, next week. So if anybody is available and wants to partake, come along. I know that Lurgan will do a glow, but come on. Um, and, but come along to that. And yeah, there's just lots going on, so it's great. Um, with, all, with all the joking, um, we, we, we really value um, the work that Aspire do. Um, Mark, that um, Katie's alluded to, grew up here amongst us. He's now over showing leader, leadership over in Cara, um, the uh, church community there. Um, and we just really value everything, even from the imagination of where this started and where it's grown to. It's one of the, the charities that we support as a church. So as you give here on a Sunday, some of the charities that we support, Aspire is, is one of those. Um, tell us, Katie, just really, really quickly, um, how and why you get involved. So the how and the why. Well, why you get involved is you keep me in a job, so I really would appreciate it if you would. Um, but 
how you can get involved varies. If you can get involved by investing your time, and um, there is opportunities throughout the community to spend an hour and be with these kids um, in our sessions. You can be a tutor if you have any skills or any um, academics that you feel would be useful. You can give your time over to the tutoring bank, which isn't used all that often, but it's all set to your schedule. So if we need them, if our kids need a tutor, we will contact you, and you and the child can tutoring together I don't know what you call that in the plural but anyway um, and then there is um, your prayers we really really would appreciate your prayers because we do everything um, with with Christ at the center so we would really appreciate if you could just pray for us as well as we continue the work that we're doing that there would be a change of heart in this country that there would be a, a growing of power in our politicians that would actually want that um, poverty to, to change and be eradicated um, and just for everything else that we do for our young people. Um, you can give of your money. You can either be a monthly donor. You can um, support us in our fundraisers. We have a charity ball in October that you can get all dressed up for and get a feed and do a raffle, and it'll be lots of fun, and the tickets for it go on sale this week. Um, and, yeah, there's lots of other ways to get involved as well, and I'd be more than happy to tell you all about them, but I won't keep you any longer, so um, please chat to me at the end. Um, and if you want to do your own charity fundraiser, even better, because then I don't have to do it. But if you would like to do it, um, we would fully support you in that as well. So there's lots of ways to get involved, and we would appreciate it, um, whatever you can do and whatever you can give. Thank you. Katie, obviously you're... Uh, yeah, give a round of applause, please. It'd be great. Really good. Um, uh, obviously, you're, uh, you're about us here every week, but thank you for giving your time to, to come up and to do this. Can we pray for Katie? Can we pray for Aspire, for the work, for the young people involved, and just ask for the, the blessing of God upon them? God, we say thank you. Thank you for the imagination even that you um, placed into Mark's heart years ago. Thank you for where it's, it's grown to. Um, God, thank you for the team and the staff team and the volunteers. Thank you for the provision to this point. We just pray, God, your blessing upon Katie and everything that she puts her hand to, upon all of the team, upon every need and resource that these guys need. And God, we pray for each young person. And we do pray, God, for the systemic change in this as well, that you will be working at the root cause. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Um, we are, thank you, Katie, it's brilliant, and um, we're going to be looking at James 2, okay, if you've got your, your Bible with you, it will be on the, it'll be on the screen as well, and um, we're going to be looking at James 2, it's went, oh, we're getting lighter again, okay, we're getting lighter, it went dark for a moment, um, James 2, okay, so verse 1 says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Um, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes com also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit on the floor at my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? 
but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones that are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones that are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, then love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And you know that we're going through the, the book of James, and I would really encourage you to, to read the second half of this chapter, and we, we lean into it slightly as we go through um, our, our talk um, today. But can I just pause and pray, ask God's blessing upon His Word and what He wants to speak into our hearts this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, You are so welcome to speak into our lives. We say yes to everything you want to say to us. Holy Spirit, would you make this written word um, like a, a sword into our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I wonder, sorry, I forgot to move on to the second part of the passage. I wonder if you've ever done this. I wonder if you have ever um, stood back to back with someone and asked the question, who is taller? Um, maybe it, you can imagine this sort of going on in a playground scene as everybody's sort of growing at different rates and you're trying to figure out who is the tallest. Phil was saying this week that Danny has now passed him. So he is, Phil is now having to starting to look up um, towards um, Danny. It's that idea of a, a child catching up with a parent or a grandparent. It's who is taller? Who's the tallest? Am I tall enough? I remember going to Barry's, now called Curry's, with the Big Dipper. And you're getting, and you're walking up, and you're going, "Am I tall enough to be able to go on the roller coaster? If I stretch just a little bit higher, will I be able to make it?" And we we have this obsession as we're younger of being tall enough, and who is the tallest? Because in the subculture of the playground, being tall brings a certain amount of status. And maybe as we get older, we outgrow this idea of who is the tallest and our concern over who is taller. But I wonder if we pick up a different game, but it's got very similar rules. That I line myself up against someone else's life and I think, who's taller here? And I try to gauge where I fit and where I stand. And if we jump right in this morning and I wonder what are some of the things that we use as our gauge to decide how tall I am or how good I am, where do I fit compared to everybody else? Maybe it is the sense of achievement. We look at our own lives and we look at the lives of others and we go, right, what have they achieved. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's a bank account. Maybe it's how much influence you have. Maybe it's being right and how often you're right. Maybe it's being liked. 
Maybe it's how many likes you get. Maybe your gauge of success is how funny you are and how, how much you can make people laugh. Maybe it's about the adventures that you can go on. Maybe it's about how well you serve. Maybe it's about how good your lifestyle choices are, that you use that as the gauge to measure up against people, put your back to their back and go, who's taller here? And where do I fit? And we compare ourselves to each other. I wonder if we're still playing the, the schoolyard game of who is the tallest. Um, this passage is talking about favoritism. James is throwing a, a hand grenade into the, this community of the early church. Um, and maybe it's because there's been these signs of something creeping in around them. And he describes a situation where he says a rich person comes in with wealth and influence with lots to offer. And a poor person comes in with probably complications and difficulties and maybe not that it appears that much to offer or to give. And all of the attention goes on to this rich person. And he says, when we do this, we're showing um, favoritism. This idea of favor means I will show you my face. I will give you my attention. I will give you my time. I will engage with you. The flip side of favoritism is that you get excluded. The flip side is that you're told to sit over on the edge. The flip side is, is that there isn't a space for you and you don't have my time. You don't have my attention. You don't get my face. And this bomb explodes into this church community because in the kingdom of God, there's no room for such segregation because they needed to remember where they came from. Um, a little picture of my kids, all at different ages. We have Zachariah, we have Sophia, we have Elijah. Different stages of life and they, they constantly want to go watch me, you know. Can you see what I can do? Sophia's, I can do one flip and Zachariah endeavors to do something that looks like a flip and Elijah's going, I can do two. There's usually a, a gymnastics display of some shape or form that happens in our house each night and it's like, watch me and tell me how tall I am. Watch me and tell me that I'm doing well, that I'm achieving. And you can see that different stages, we have a, a, a inside one of our cupboards is a, a bit of wood where we've We've marked their height each birthday. You, you mark your height and you go, how tall am I? How tall am I? How well am I um, doing? But the thing is in this picture and the thing that I love about it is that their, their little heads are all flung backwards. And Ruth and I are in the same situation that they're, they're playing the game of how tall am I? How tall am I? But there's this massive wall that dwarfs them. And the inches that are between their height of, of the different years and of different abilities, you, you look up, and even for Ruth and I, as we were standing beside them, you look up and we're all dwarfed behind this wall. 
actually the height difference between the kids, the height difference between me and uh, Elijah, it feels very little compared to this wall. And I wonder whenever we begin to have this creep in amongst us where we can get a little bit comparative of how am I doing, how are they doing, who's better, if the best thing that we could do is fling our heads back and see the size of the wall behind us. Because the millimeters that separate us, we look around and we go, wow, look how well they're doing. Oh, wow, look at them. Oh, look, I'm, I'm okay. At least I'm better than them. The millimeters that we use to compare ourselves to, whenever you look at the wall behind us, the magnitude of who God is, how amazing and how holy and how beautiful he is, the millimeters between us peel into insignificance. And we waste our time comparing ourselves to those around us. I wonder if we're comparing ourselves in the wrong direction. Because Elijah, he walks into Zachariah's birthday party and he feels like a giant. He's so mature. He's the leader. He's got it all together. These other little kids look up to him, but he, he starts and walks into the room of the, let's say, the young adults gathered around at our house, and he walks in. Suddenly he feels small. Suddenly he feels a little bit less significant, a little bit less important while all of these other people are talking up here. Who we compare ourselves to helps determine how tall we think we are. And yet the reality is if we compare ourselves to the wall behind us, none of us are that tall. None of us are that tall. And the difference between us is millimeters. And maybe the, the challenge with this as well is, is not only are we comparing ourselves in the wrong direction, but we're using the wrong set of skills. Because we're using a set of skills where the world says, these are the things that you must go after. These are the things that are really important. The world is saying, get your security sorted. Get your comfort sorted. Get yourself well entertained. And the kingdom of God is flipping all of that and saying, actually, I, my, my gauge on this is how much you're willing to take a step of faith and step into the unknown. My, my, my scale is how much are you willing to trust me and move forward not knowing where you're going to land? My skills are about surrender and my skills are about sacrifice. And so often, not only are we comparing ourselves in the wrong direction, but we're using the wrong set of skills. And for us as people that love Jesus in this room, we know all of this. And we're striving to go after his kingdom. And we want to live lives in this upside down kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about. We want to live lives in that. We want to go after it. We orientate our lives around it. But then every so often, we just can't help it because the scales are just sitting there. And I just want to step on and see how I'm doing. I want to see how I'm comparing to everybody else. I'm putting my back up and I'm stretching as tall as I can and going, how tall am I and who's the tallest? And the kingdom of God isn't using those skills. 
And this impacts on us because as we are longing to live a life of freedom in following after Jesus, if we keep those scales nearby, we're always going to be tempted to stand on them. The other challenge is that if we keep them nearby, we'll be tempted to put other people onto them as well. And I'll figure out how important you are by the scales that are sitting beside me. And I'll decide and I'll judge and I'll figure out who's in and who's out, who comes close and who stays near because the scales are sitting there. And as we verse in this passage, and all of this that I'm talking about is about our worth. It's about our worth. It's a little verse that you could actually skim over and it doesn't seem that important. It's not one of those ones that's a standout. It's just sort of tagged on a little phrase at the end of one of the, the verses. And it says this at the end of verse 7. He's talking about the, um, the rich. And he's saying, like, the rich are the ones that are exploiting you. The rich are the ones that are dragging you into court. They're the ones that are blaspheming the noble name of the one to whom you belong. The one to whom you belong. And seeing all the comparison, in all the trying to figure out how tall I am and trying to figure out what's my worth here. Because that's basically what we're asking. What's, what am I worth? In this, in this little verse, we're getting it. Because of who you belong to, that's where your worth is coming from. Because of who you belong to, that's where your worth comes from. It stems right back to who created you. Right back to who created you. You were created by God in his image. And we can try and compare ourselves to each other. We can use whatever skills we want to figure out how important we are. Your worth and your value comes from who created you. And can you hear that this morning? Because in a, a room of this size, there's stuff going on in each one of us where we're trying to, our, our worth can take a battering. There can be choices and decisions that we've made. There can just be thoughts going on inside of us that just feel us they leave us feeling worthless. They leave us feeling like we're not measuring up. They leave us feeling, and maybe you're even experienced or have experienced hitting at that rock bottom point. And you're looking around, and everybody else is doing so well, and everything's going their direction, and you're, you're there, and you just have that, that sense of worth. It's just not there. Can I say over your life, today, you have worth because of who you are and because he created you. And that is enough. That is enough. And all of the skills that we're using to compare ourselves to are separating us by millimeters in the magnitude of who he is and how big he is. Today, our worth comes from him because you belong to him. The second little thought I want us to think about are what are some of 
the wedges that we can place amongst us. If, um, James is given this really stern warning that's saying, if you start to engage in this sort of behavior where you're deciding who's in and who's out, and you're saying they're good enough and they're not good enough, and you're trying to, to measure up, and you're giving special attention to this person and ignoring that person, he says you're, you're being completely contradictory to, to what the gospel was because the gospel was a, one new humanity. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says this, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. This beautiful new humanity where actually our status indicators are left at the door. This is what caused, was one of the main things that caused the early church to have such an impact. Because the wedges that had been used to divide society, and in this passage it's talking about the rich and the poor, but what are the other wedges that we can put in place? What are the other wedges that say, yes, you, you, you're, you can come in, but you just keep your distance, just sit down there and keep quiet? What are the other wedges in our own lives and in our own hearts for us as a community that we've placed that divide us? Because those wedges, when they enter into the kingdom of God, because the desire of the gospel, the core of it is, is that God is drawing people from all nations, all people groups, every social economic group. He's bringing them all together. The moment that we start to put those wedges in, those wedges are barriers. They are barriers that are stopping people from hearing about Jesus. And we're not even talking about we're not even talking about, you know, I need to figure out, are they really following Jesus or not? We're talking about two people walking into a gathering. One who looks like they've got it all together and the other one who doesn't. And we're saying, you're welcome and you're not. And the moment that we do that, we're placing a wedge and a divider and a barrier for the gospel, you, you see, we, we wouldn't have got in. It was this big debate in the early church. What do we do with the Gentiles? Maybe some of you are from a Jewish tradition. But the question was, what are we going to do with the Gentiles? What do we do? Does God really want to invite them in on this? Does he really want them to get involved in this? And... <laughs> If they'd have made a call the other way, we were out. And this is the beauty of the gospel is that it's flinging wide to every person to have access to the kingdom of God. This verse here, what do you see? Is it up? Nope, this one. Okay. It's verse 4. Whenever we engage with this sort of behavior, this is what it says. This is challenging. I didn't like this one when I read it. You know when you read someone, you really like it, and then you read someone, you go, oh, I don't like what that's, don't like how that's making me feel. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
The moment that we engage in this type of favoritism of including or excluding, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The beauty of the early church was this eclectic, economically diverse, multicultural, educated, uneducated, free and slave community that God had drawn together centered on Jesus. And then creeping in became this division. Creeping in became the hierarchy. But because the early church turned that status quo and all of those status indicators, they left them at the door, that's why it was having this profound um, effect. What are the wedges? What are the things um, that we need to remove individually? What are the wedges that we need to remove corporately that are blocking people from hearing the good news of Jesus? So we have our worth, we have the wedges, and we have the wins. Um, As we wrap this up, verse 13, the tail end of it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The message says this, kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. Whenever I am tempted to separate it and divide, to include and to exclude, whenever I am tempted to judge, the Bible says that kind, kind mercy trumps it every time. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. And whenever Jesus was on earth, he was obliterating these wedges and these barriers that had been put in place that were stopping people from getting to God. He was crushing them in his life and in, in, in the challenge that he brought to the church of that day, to the, the, the Jewish people, to the leaders. He was crushing these divides and these barriers that, that were excluding people that were allowing no access, that you don't get in on this. And yet he did that so powerfully and so forcefully at times. And yet he didn't once compromise on holiness. It wasn't just come in and it doesn't really matter, just we'll all hang out here together, it doesn't matter. He was given this beautiful invitation that says everybody's welcome, but equally he looks people in the eye and he treated people as individuals and he said to him, right, yep, you want to come and follow after me, that's really good. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Go and give what you have because that's where the treasure is right here, right in your heart. I'm looking into your heart and I'm seeing the thing that's separating you from God. Go and, uh, and sell what you have and give it to the poor. There's a woman that, it, it's a bit of a, a set-up scene, but she's dragged in front of Jesus, caught in the act of adultery. And the scene unfolds where we see Jesus stepping in to defend the victim. He then treats her as an individual. He treats her with humanity. And he says, go and sin no more. So the holiness is still there. But the access and the invitation, no one's getting to put a barrier between this person coming to Jesus. There is the the woman at the well, and she's engaging in this 
theological conversation with Jesus, and then Jesus goes, let, let us talk about your past. He brings up her story, tells her everything that there is to know about her that she probably would have preferred that nobody knew. He says, I'm interested in your lifestyle. I'm interested in your choices. We can't just keep this all airy-fairy up here, like the theological conversation. I'm interested in how are you living? Are you living well? Are you living to the God design? But he does it in such a way that the disciples come back on the scene and they're like, oh, what's Jesus doing? <laughs> Jesus is talking to a woman and he shouldn't have been doing that. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. He definitely shouldn't have been doing that. He, he, he does it in such a way in creating access, bringing the challenge, but creating access. And how are we going to be people who fling wide our arms and say, there are no barriers to you coming to Jesus while holding together with truth and love and mercy and kind mercy triumphs over judgment every time. Second part of this chapter just says that our, our faith needs to look like something. Can't all be held up here can't be held in here on a Sunday. Our faith needs to look like something. And you have in this uh, um, story that Jesus told of, we, we call it the, the Good Samaritan, and he's telling the story to predominantly Jews. And what has happened is someone just like them is traveling along a road and they are attacked. They're left for dead. And then dead religion leaves them lying there. But come walking along, the hero of the story, the Samaritan, the enemy, the person that they'd put the divide in, Jesus is writing them as the hero of the story. He's pulling them into the story. He's saying, there's a space for you in this. And this Samaritan man has every right to walk on by his history, his own experience, Look how they've treated me. Look how they've treated my family. Look how they've excluded us and they've kept us outside. Look at the divide that has happened. Uh, and you could fully justify him and just walking on by and looking the other way. And yet he crosses the road. He brings immediate aid to the person. He interrupts his day. He pays money to see them looked after, and he says, anything that they need, give it to them. I'll fit the bill. And that's the sort of kind mercy that we're talking about that crosses the road to the enemy and the stranger and says, let me help. Let me get down on my knees and let me have your blood on my hands. Let me bind up your wounds. It will cost me something. Our faith needs to look like something. It needs to look like a stubborn defense to break down every wedge and barrier that stops people from hearing about Jesus. It needs to break down every barrier and wedge that stops people from hearing about Jesus. What are our wedges amongst us? 
Who gets close enough to hear and who doesn't? Who gets her face? Who gets her attention? Who do we engage with? And the flip side of that, maybe without even thinking, who do we not? Who do we leave on the edge? Who do we ignore? We need to figure out the worth that God has for each one of us. Because until we get that, and until we start using the right set of skills, we'll judge everybody else with our own skills. We need to figure out what are the wedges that we've placed, that we've just inherited. Experience has made us feel this way. Lack of information has made us feel this way. And then when and where are we going to let kind mercy win over harsh judgment? Can we pray together? I know our time is gone. I'm going to bring him Katie. So, um, let's, let's pray together. It's just two things I want us to pray for. I want to pray... If you're in this space this morning and you're going, see the worth one of feeling, my worth is at rock bottom at the moment. And I have got caught in the game of comparing myself to other people. And I'm looking around and I don't feel I've, I'm not hitting that. I would love to pray for you. Can, can I encourage you just to close your eyes to give a little bit of privacy? I would love... I'm not going to call you up to the front, I'm not doing anything. I would love you just to put your hand up for you as a marker of going, God, I'm responding because I need to experience the worth and see the worth that you have in me. Can I just get you to, I feel like a proper preacher, can I get you to put up your hand just so that we can do a marker? You see those hands. That we want the worth to understand the worth of God and how he is seeing you. Right, let me pray for you. Um, God, we ask you that you would lavish your love upon each person that has raised their hand. That they would know the love that you lavish upon them, regardless of their circumstances, their situation, their history. And we pray, God, that you would cancel the lies of the enemy that is trying to keep them bound and we speak the strong name of Jesus over their lives for those in this place that have followed you that they are yours that their worth comes from you and I would love to just Pray, and even in your own heart, okay, this is where it gets real because it has to look like something. Um, who is it that you need to pray for that you feel like you've put a wedge between? Whether an individual or a group of people, that there's a wedge placed that you would prefer if they stayed over there. You would prefer uh, that they didn't walk into church. Whether it's an individual that your life would just be easier if they didn't come here. Or it's a group of people 
that your life would be easier if they didn't come here. And I want you to pray for them. I want you to ask God to bless them. I want you to ask God to move in their lives. I want you to ask God that the kingdom, this beautiful gospel would break out over them. That the Holy Spirit would be at work within their life. And that they might know the fullness of life found in Jesus. I recognize that there's lots of heavy stuff in that. We're talking about worth and value. And if that brings stuff to the surface for you, please come and talk to us afterwards. Don't, don't walk out carrying stuff. If you would like one of us to pray with you, come. We would love to do that. Um, and if in terms of the wedges stuff, it's just triggered some stuff and you want to talk to us, please come and do that. We would love to, to help you. We are hovering around here and we, we can pray for anybody that wants to pray for. You're free to go. Go grab your kids. Sorry for the timings again. So, but um, yeah, have a good day.